I'll just warn you now, this next conversation will probably bring memories uh, flooding back, hopefully not all bad. Uh, so when the pandemic and the lockdowns were happening, I think we all thought it was probably like, this is the defining event of our lives. We'll, we'll never forget this. We'll never talk about anything else. And then it ended. And I think particularly uh, people who hadn't suffered major loss or trauma, uh, we mostly moved on. Uh, we don't really think about it that much or talk about it that much. Uh, Brendan Kelly is Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin and a consultant psychiatrist at Tally University Hospital. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. And you've written a book about this called Resilience. Yes, the book is Resilience, Lessons from Sir William Wilde about life after COVID. And it's to do with the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, what it felt like. I was working in a hospital at the time, as a, I still am, as a psychiatrist. Um, but also what it's meant for us as a people, if you like, how we think about it now, if we think about it, why we think the way we do, why we don't think about it all the time. So have a lot of us just moved on? And if so, boy. Well, you know, it might be necessary in a sense to move on. People talk about amnesia, about the pandemic, and I don't think we've quite forgotten it, but we have put it to the back of our minds in many ways in order to continue on day by day. Now, there are obviously exceptions. Some people were, you know, acutely bereaved and traumatised and had all kinds of loss that they still feel, and some people have long COVID as well. But I think as a society, we have moved on uh, quite quickly, if you like, and placed it to the back of our minds on a day-to-day basis. In order to kind of survive and get on with things, is, is forgetting actually as, as important a skill as remembering, yeah? Yeah, I mean, remembering is, is critical to survival, but forgetting is what gets us from day to day. And in yeah. big ways and small ways, I mean, if we all th- thought about all the embarrassing incidents in our lives, all the things we said and we shouldn't have said, we'd be paralysed. So in a sense, we can park these things for a period of time, in a sense, repress them, if you like. And sometimes that can help but sometimes it can become problematic. Yeah, because I would have thought repression generally, the the narrative in this country was it's a bad thing and it was a bad thing in the past and everything. And are we are we all pushing down a, a beach ball full of air that's going to fly up out of the water in inopportune times? It, it can do, but for an awful lot of people, um, it's necessary to repress certain things for a period of time. Obviously, um, you know, severe trauma when repressed, it does cause problems in the future. But operationally, you know, a lot of yeah. us let a lot of things go. And sometimes letting go of the smaller things is the only thing that allows us to live in the moment and allows us to carry on after something as big as a pandemic. You write in the book, and I think this this is something I have relied since reading it and, and, and talking about it, that when we do remember, we remember feelings more so than we remember facts. We do. I, I mean, memory is a very interesting thing, particularly when you think about the two core years of the pandemic, say two and a bit years of restrictions coming and going. Most of us have memories, but we probably don't have two years worth of memories, mm. if you know what I mean. A lot of the, what happened was repetitive. Statistics came again and again. But we do have a memory of the feelings, often an embodied memory. You know, memories aren't just in our brains. We can have an embodied sense of what it felt like during the pandemic. The facts can be difficult. Different facts keep appearing, different numbers, statistics about excess deaths and lockdowns and all of this. So the facts can be quite slippery, interestingly, but feelings are something that have a solidity for us. So very often we we remember, if that's the word, by by way of feelings rather than cold, hard facts. Yeah. When you say that, what, what, what I think the overwhelming thing now that comes to me 
is that kind of that general air of stillness, grimness, the, you know, everything seeming to be kind of just yeah, be yeah. calmed. Yeah. Yeah. And remember that? Yeah, absolutely. And but there was a sort of a frozenness sometimes as as if we were stuck in a moment that kept happening again and again with the restrictions. And I I talk about this in the book. And what's interesting, I suppose, to me, and the book is called Resilience for for a reason, is that so many people found a way to carry on. Surveys done in the population um, in Ireland and right around the world tended to show that around one person in five during the pandemic had more anxiety or depression or stress than they could reasonably cope with. That went up in certain groups, up to maybe two people in every five among healthcare workers and other frontline workers. And the suffering was so real. But what really interests me is the amount of coping and resilience shown. I mean, if you had told me, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, there'd be a pandemic that, you know, the airports would close, businesses would close, schools would close, millions would be affected. I would have thought hardly anyone will cope or be able to navigate that. And yet, even with such difficulty, such loss and trauma, Many people did. And in a sense, that's what the book is about, how how we found this wisdom and this strength and this kindness within us to care for each other and ourselves during an extraordinary time. Because remember, there was a lot of talk about a tsunami of mental health problems. Now, I think a lot of us would argue that uh, young people and old people, they're definitely, I would say, certainly among young and kids who came of age in different stages of that and everything, I, I kind of think there is below the waterline damage done there. But you, you were saying that predicted kind of tsunami of mental health problems didn't actually come, no? No, I mean, around one person in five had significant difficulty coping. And certainly as a psychiatrist, I saw that people with mental illness, people with pre-existing bipolar disorder or schizophrenia tended to suffer more than other people and leading to relapses. But also COVID, I mean, someone with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder had about six or seven times the chances of getting COVID itself compared to somebody without a mental illness. So there were, you know, there was an impact. The age profile is interesting. All the evidence is that younger people suffered more than others and more than perhaps we now realise, particularly with schooling, and that older adults, some did indeed become isolated and had great difficulties and some still do. But broadly speaking, older adults did not suffer as much as one might have expected. They seem to have, if you like, embedded life skills that stood them in good stead when younger people had greater difficulty during this time. So people stronger than we all thought we were, and then even you, a, a professional who spent all all your career looking mm. at people's minds and their emotional health and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 very interesting. I think we discovered our world, uh, particularly in, in rich countries, is more fragile. Our system, our society, we, you know, our society can be brought to its knees by a virus, it turns out. But we as individuals are stronger than we might have given ourselves credit for, can cope with more and are also kinder towards each other than we might have previously imagined. So it was a it was a real period of learning things both about society and about ourselves and particularly our strengths and our kindness towards each other. Now, the government is, is uh, I think, is going to announce soon details of the COVID inquiry. And I suppose the idea is that we learn from any mistakes that are identified. You say societies don't learn from these things. 
Yeah, not not especially. When you, when you look at the history of pandemics and similar events, we tend not to learn any clear lessons. Nonetheless, I imagine an inquiry will, uh, you know, help maybe to sort out some of these statistics about in what ways Ireland did well, in what ways Ireland did poorly. But also it will serve an important emotional function as a sort of a vast psychotherapeutic enterprise where people will feel listened to, um, certain issues can be aired and we can get a sense of what happened. But, you know, I've been hanging around with historians for quite a while now. And if there's one phrase that they tend not to like, it is the phrase, the lessons of history. History's lessons tend to be complicated if they're there at all and can be contradictory as well. Because we thought it was going to change everything. We we saw all these flaws and how the world was run and all that kind of thing. And, you know, it was all going to be different. Yes. and, And it hasn't really changed anything much in terms of how we run the world. I mean, there have been some reviews in other countries and they're obviously the review in the UK has turned into this enormous enterprise estimated now to come in at a total cost of 156 million pounds is what the UK review is estimated yeah, and is going years to cost. more apparently years yeah. more to go I mean there are things to learn there are two big questions yeah the first one is at the time were the decisions made in the best way that was possible at the time, given the vast uncertainties, given the need for clear leadership and given the fear, the anxiety washing over the world, a difficult decision making environment. And then the second questions are now, you know, at a calmer moment, what can we learn that might not have been learnable back then? You know, what can we learn now that we're looking back and examining statistics that will help us for the future to prevent and deal with this if and when it happens? Yeah, but you remember, remember for a while there, the big obsession with now we have to get ready for the next pandemic because it is coming and sure that's gone to the back of everyone's heads again now as well. Um, the, the, I think there's a determination in Ireland that blame will not be the purpose of the of the uh, inquiry. But when when you think back again to all the weird moods around that time and everything, blame was a big thing, wasn't it? We were blaming a different... Remember, we were blaming the young people one week and everyone would turn and then we were blaming people congregating. Yeah, yeah, blame, yeah. blame, blame, blame. Was that some kind of human need oh, there, like, to find somebody to... It absolutely is. We were blaming the government. We were blaming the media. We were blaming uh, people who drove in their cars up the Dublin mountain to go for a walk, if I remember <laughs> one weekend correctly. But, you know, you know, I went for a burger once and with unfortunate circumstances to, to a different county. But it was yeah. it was a um, a virus that was to blame it uh, fundamentally and at heart. It was the virus, but it is emotionally unsatisfactory blaming a virus. We want to blame people. We want to blame humans. And this is part of a fantasy of control. We want to believe that other people could have controlled this better if they really tried hard. The cold hard fact is the virus was to blame for almost all of the suffering and very little uh, responsibility um, falls to the people who made the decisions. This was the virus. So we could broaden out though a lesson we could learn there is that Life's just not fair. We have to kind of learn to accept that. Things like, aren't fair. Nature's not fair. Well, nature's not fair. Nature's not fair and we will be humbled again and again by nature and we fool ourselves if we think we're in charge. Um, but that's not a counsel of despair. There are things we can control. There are things we can do, particularly, you know, within ourselves. And the story of the pandemic was not just one of loss, but one of resilience and one of strength um, in, in ways that one might not have imagined. So, you know, nature will have the final say at all times. And it's good to be reminded of that, albeit a terrible cost in the pandemic.
Yeah. Okay. Now, there are little uh, lessons peppered in there. Um, working from home was a big thing. Uh, you think what we learned is that people don't go to the workplace to work? No, I mean, one of the primary purposes of going into the workplace is to meet people, to chat in the car park, to talk at the water cooler and, you know, and to, to make yeah, sort of funny faces behind people's backs at meetings, which is very hard to do on Zoom. I mean, some of us might have tried to send uh, specific messages to just one person in the Zoom meeting, but not everybody else. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. might have gone terribly wrong for some of us. And some people listening will know an incident I'm talking about. But we go to work for these informal connections. And we know this from the research that when something goes wrong at work, the best support we find is informal support from colleagues, chatting to colleagues, not so much the formal support. And that was yeah. missing for a lot of people in the pandemic, that connection and support. And, and I think, would that explain why a lot of people, I think, made a lot of new soft toys in their own kind of neighbourhoods and then people they saw on their walks and stuff like that, that they kind of almost got to know over the course of things like. So there was that craving for those soft toys that keep us going through the day, yeah? There was. There was that craving for, for connection, for human connection. And in, in the book, I write a bit about, you know, heading off to work when the roads were completely deserted. And something that happened was the Garthi would stop me as I drove to the hospital and to check I was an essential worker. They'd look at my letter and they were desperate keen for a chat. <laughs> you know? yeah, they were standing yeah. out there all day with very little happening. Now, uh, you know, I wasn't that keen because I was headed to work in Tally University University Hospital where the staff were absolutely astonishing, just breathtaking during the pandemic. But these two guard, these Gardaí were out on the road, often the same one each day, desperate for a bit of a natter because they weren't getting much talk otherwise. Now, th this is going to sound a little bit privileged in one way, because I know it wasn't the worst thing that happened people in the pandemic and some people had, had just had the most dreadful experiences and everything. But you think we got a new appreciation of travel in terms of the need to escape. Yes, I mean, we, we really did. Uh, you know, it can be very difficult when you're in a negative thought spiral to, to think your way out of negative thoughts. And sometimes what we need to do is step away, physically walk somewhere. And this is why when the various restrictions were there, wasn't there a point where we were only supposed to go two kilometres yeah. from our homes? That the advice was, you know, to go two kilometres from your home, you know, to, to go out and walk to, the, to, to that perimeter um, because those physical those physical actions can take us places that thinking can't, particularly when we're feeling very low or that we're having the negative thoughts. And in the book, I talk a little bit about travel as that became more possible and particularly climbing mountains. Um, I think I talk about Crowpatrick and Neffen in County Mayo, which are wonderful places anytime, but just seemed to be extra magic, if you like, once we were allowed to go there again. It gives us something mentally and physically. So psychologically, doing a geographical, as they sometimes call yeah. it, is a good thing. Yes, it's absolutely running a good away. thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> In terms of the other things that kept you going, uh, coffee shop, coffee, like coffee in a takeaway cup from a coffee shop became a big thing for people. You see them out in their walks, led along kind of with two coffees in front of them, people walking. You got quite deep into the, the coffee scene, though, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, uh, uh, no, to uh, the point of a problem. A bit bordering on a problem, for sure. I lapsed seriously back into coffee drinking. But the, the symbolism is so interesting of the people walking around holding the coffee in front of them, almost processing in a sacramental way, <laughs> holding yes. this coffee as if it is a sacred thing. But but it was such a big thing because at, at certain points you could go and it was human interaction and you were out of the house and you were 
buying something. We have a desire to spend money. But yes, I did become a little dependent on coffee during the pandemic, uh, which is, I suppose, a very small outcome of the pandemic compared to everything else. Um, And of course, modern coffee culture is such a strange and stylized thing with these hipster coffee joints filled with people. And I guess I've just become one of them now. Yeah, you have this moment of of, uh, of of seeing yourself at one point, and you're looking. You say the setup is preposterous, the coffee me- mediocre, the price is indefensible. Yet here I am, and then you realise I've become one of them. These are now my people. So the the hipster coffee shop is your subculture now. Yeah, yeah. I was mercilessly making fun of them until I realised that that I'm one of them. But I've continued to do so. But I guess it was just a change in habit that the pandemic brought, and that certainly has stuck with me. Now I'm full of full of coffee as I'm talking to you this morning. You, you're very kind of laid back enough for a guy who's full of coffee. I think a lot of people would be a bit more jittery. The tolerance is obviously through the roof at this stage. Music was another thing that kept you going. And like, it's funny how important music and TV shows be, became to people as I suppose something new that would, and if somebody put out a new album, geez, you'd be mm. so excited. So you, you, Lana Del Rey, you mentioned Dua Lipa. You make the controversial claim that Rita Ora's 2018 album Phoenix is the best album of the decade. Yes, I do. And it's it's not so much a claim. I regard it as a fact, Brendan. And there are many people out there who support me. I think the point I make is that it uh, is not burdened with too much meaning, let's say. And, you know, and again, I guess another form of escape from all the seriousness and what was going on. But what's interesting in what you say about the music and the TV is if we imagine a pandemic before the internet. Oh, stop. (laughs) Where we didn't have access to streaming or to, you know, to, to almost infinite music and television and almost infinite information immediately. That experience of a pandemic would have been so different to what we experienced with COVID. Yeah, yeah. If anyone says that there'd be another pandemic, but there'd be no Wi-Fi, that that would finish us off. Um, so tell me about the part William Wilde plays in all this to you. I think the comfort I would have got from it is that you put our pandemic in context in yeah. a way that like this happens every now and again and people, yeah. the world moves on. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the the book is about the experience of the pandemic and reflecting on it rather than dissecting statistics, which are going to be dissected by others, um, but also putting it into the bigger historical context. Sir William Wilde, Oscar's father, um, he lived from 1815 to 1876. He was a doctor in Dublin, an ENT, ear, nose, throat surgeon, but he wrote a great deal about the history of pandemics. And he wrote about all the plagues and pestilences and cosmic phenomena that had afflicted Ireland from pagan times right up until 1856 when he was writing. And he spoke a lot about pandemics coming from the East, sweeping across Europe and arriving in Ireland, very similar to the pattern that we believe uh, prevailed with COVID. But he also showed how people survived these things, how people got through these things. And I guess it put it in historical context for me. Also particularly interesting, I was working and still am working in Tala University Hospital. And Tala is where Ireland's first recorded plague happened around two and a half thousand years BC. OK, I'm going to read some text, OK, because I think we should we should reflect uh, the, the broad experience of this. Um, a- Ashling says, I need to forget to move on. It was the loneliest and saddest time of my life. I still shudder to think about it. And that's it. Remembering the, the feeling that when it comes up now and again, it can be quite powerful. There's huge trauma still in the world from COVID all around us in all age groups, says this texter. Um, 
during COVID, I would have preferred to lose the three years at 18 years old than at 70 years old, says Kevin. The sands of time and percentages are not on your side as you get older. And I think a lot of uh, older people might might agree with that. And then a lot would say that um, that it was the young they felt sorry for. That was another aspect of things that there was huge, um, there was huge sympathy from different cohorts and different age groups yeah. and everything. Um I suffer with mental health problems. I still miss the lockdowns. I miss being at home all the time. I have to go into the office now on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I dread the days every week to the point that I'm nauseous. I'm the same with any event. I have to go to even for leisure. Uh, it was a good time for introverts, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There was a a certain way. there was a certain benefits for some people, and you know everyone's experience of it is different. Uh, particularly now, there was intergenerational solidarity that that went on for sure, and shifts in family relationships and communities that will take time to untangle. The forgetting is interesting and, you know, we can't remember everything all the time. We're not going to work through all our emotions, but we do tend to work through them over the years. Small number of people, it comes in bursts and starts and can be like a post-traumatic stress disorder um, condition with sudden re-experiencing, sudden dreams or or feelings. Um, But most people work through things gradually over time and I expect most people will make an adjustment and continue to do so since the pandemic. So, So back to where we started then, like when we look back on our lives, Will that be the major event in it, do you think, for the people who lived through that? Or will, will we look back on that as a thing that changed us? Or will it be, you know, one of the major events or will it just blur in with all the other stuff that happened in a life? Listen, I think it will be a major event for people who experienced an acute loss, maybe the, the death of a partner or family member, maybe a very difficult illness in hospital and not being able to visit. And, and maybe some people with questions about how it was managed in various places. For them, it will be a defining feature. But for people who didn't have that acute loss, I don't think it will be a defining feature. And I do think people will move on. We, you know, we don't forget it. We put it to the back of our minds operationally. But if we never recall it, if we have no reason reason to recollect it on an anniversary or some such, then I think some people might well forget. Remarkable. Um, just one more text. Yes, COVID was very hard for us. Two oldies living remotely, kids all in America and UK, no visitors. On top of that, hobby going through chemo. Well, I took to veg growing. It was a success. Now I feed the parish. So there you go. So Brendan Kelly, thank you very much. The book is called Resilience and it's published by Eastwood Books. Thanks, Brendan. Text 51551. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.